Matt mentioned earlier, thank you so much for pressing y'all way through the weather. Uh, really proud to give yourselves a hand for that. Amen. And we, we ain't got to be packed, man. Jesus says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I will be in the midst. And, um, and I felt it in the worship. I believe that he is here. And, um, and I'm excited yet and still to be in the presence of God and the presence of his saints. Uh, also, today, originally, we were supposed to have our, uh, our first church meeting. We've got a lot of things that we've got to talk to, talk about, um, really kind of a couple of pretty urgent things. And so uh, we wanted to reschedule that because we want to have as many of, uh, of our members here as possible in order to do so. We are willing to still have a conversation following church, but I know I put it online. I know many people could make it. What we want to know is what would be a good time. We don't want to push it back too far. Um, and so um, we've got some ideas, perhaps Wednesday, uh, we could all show up and uh, we could have that conversation. So we will have that conversation with you after service and continue it online uh, just to see what we can do that. But it is, uh, it is, it's imperative that pretty soon we have some conversations as a church uh, about what does the next phase for us look like. So uh, so please let us know your thoughts uh, as we get out of here, before we get out of here today. All right? All right? All right. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. Well, come on. Uh, today we uh, dive into our third installment of our series, Always Becoming, as we begin to paint the picture of the church that we are trying and working to become. And uh, what we've been doing over the last few weeks is walking through what we're calling the four pathways of always becoming. Week one, we talked about what does a life look like when it is illuminated by the Word of God, when the Word of God orders your steps. The Bible tells us that His Word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our pathways. Also, last week, Pastor Matt talked about uh, relationships and what does it mean to be united when the power of God uh, unites us and empowers us to be a community, he used that scripture that I love so much in John 13, where Jesus says that it is not based upon how well you sing, how well you preach, that people will know that you are my disciples, but how well you what? By how well you love one another, how deep in relationship and community we are together. Uh, next week, I'm excited uh, still, Pastor Blackford comes in uh, to preach for our third year anniversary, and we're going to be talking about Ignited, what happens when a life is deeply, intimately connected to God through worship. Not worship as an event that we come to on Sunday mornings, but worship as a lifestyle. So I don't know if you know it, but everything that you do as a believer is an act of worship. Worship. The Bible tells us, Colossians says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it as unto the Lord. That's an act of worship. And so he's going to be leading us through that next week. Really excited. That's my, my big brother. I really love him, and, um, and he's a powerful preacher. So it's a great week, not only for you to be here, but also for you to invite your friends and family members to come. Uh, out as well and celebrate with us. And uh, then lastly, today, uh, we will be walking through what's called Directed. And this is talking about engaging the world with the gospel, truth, love, and justice. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open them up to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 35, and we'll just read these last few verses of that chapter. I uh, love this scripture. Um, a lot. And of course, as always, it'll be available for you on the screens or as you open up your device or your Bibles if you still like to flip the pages. Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 35. Reading from the NIV, this is what you'll find. Jesus went 
through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest harvest field. Amen. Amen. If I could, this is um, the weekend that we celebrate Dr. King. So let me just throw in my one Dr. King quote for us today. Uh, Something really simple that he said. He says that life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? What are you doing for others? Matthew notes in our text where we're starting today that we find Jesus going through all the towns and villages, preaching and teaching the gospel and healing every disease and sickness as he mentions there. Man, can't go too far before you find something very unique about this. What we discover is what's Jesus' location. That he's preaching and teaching the gospel, not in the big cities, not in the most populous or popular places, but he's preaching, teaching, healing, sickness, and disease in all of the towns and the villages. That is, Jesus found himself on the margins of society. And if you read scripture, what you'll discover more times than not, you'll see Jesus doing his work on the margins of society and culture, reaching and ministering to those who are outcasts, who are separated from the masses, those people who are oftentimes forgotten. If you look at so many of the miracles and you look at where they're located or to whom they've been done, you'll see that they were done in the margins of society to those who are outcasts. Think about the 10 lepers that Jesus healed. He healed them on the way to Jerusalem, not in Jerusalem, not in the big city, but outside of Jerusalem because the lepers were not allowed in such an environment because of their disease. They were on the margins. If you remember another time, the Pharisees saw Jesus and they were angry at him. They were angry for a number of reasons, but this time in particular, they were angry because Jesus was having dinner with sinners. We don't know who the sinners were, what all they did. We know that some of them were tax collectors, but all we know is that they were outcasts according to the religious community and they had a problem with him. One of the more popular miracles that we see Jesus performed is you'll find uh, Jesus healing the woman who had the issue of blood for 11 years and because of that issue, because of the perpetual non-stop blood flow, she found herself displaced from her community, not able to go back to her family, pushed out to the margins of society, rejected and dejected from people because of her condition. Then there's also the famous story in John chapter Four, when Jesus goes to the well outside of Samaria, encounters a Samaritan woman in the middle of the day, and he encounters her. Check out this woman, man. She had three strikes against her. Number one, she was a Samaritan. They were not accepted by the religious elite, not by the Jewish culture of that day. Secondly, she had an issue with promiscuity. She had a reputation that followed her wherever she went. And thirdly, she was a woman. Three strikes against her. 
And yet when Jesus encounters this woman who was a Samaritan, who had a bad reputation, who was a woman, Jesus, rather than just simply reaching down and giving her some water, he gives her the living water himself. He engages because Jesus engages those who are on the margins of society, and he gives them exactly what they are looking for. I love this about Jesus. I love not only that he engages people on the margins of culture and society, but I also love it because the reason why I believe that Jesus loves the people from the margins of society is because Jesus himself was from the margins of society. Jesus was not raised up or reared in the most popular places. If you remember, when Jesus' fame was growing, one of the disciples actually asked the question, can any good thing come out of Nazareth because Jesus was from the margins? Or he was a Galilean Jew who were not the most popular people in Jewish culture. Jesus was from the margins, therefore he had a heart for people who were from the other side of the tracks, those who were not looked at, those who were pushed out and outcast. Jesus loves that. How can you not love a God like that? A God who knows where you're from, not only does he know where you're from, but he comes to where you're from, coming from you. Not only does he come for you, but he lives among you. Not only does he live among you, but he sees what's happening to you, and he exists to raise and to lift you up out of the muck and mire of your existence. I love it. That's why the old saints would say, there's nobody, ain't nobody like our Jesus. Jesus comes, he experiences, he's preaching and proclaiming the gospel, healing sickness and disease to the people on the margins of society. And verse 36 is kind of where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. I love this. It's kind of where we figure out everything that's going on. Listen, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When he saw, let's stop right there. There's more here than just Jesus fixing his eyes physically on people and seeing them the way that I am seeing you or that you are seeing me. What Jesus is doing right here is he's looking upon them and he is perceiving their situation as he sees the people here. So when we're talking about being directed... We're talking about engaging our culture with the gospel, with truth, with love, and with justice. We are talking about having the ability to see people. Have you ever been seen by somebody? I mean, have you ever felt that you are, 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 are outcast? Maybe your friends, maybe your family, maybe people don't understand you, but you meet somebody who truly sees you for who you are. Have you recognized how special that moment is? To know that somebody sees you or, as we say, man, they feel you. Feel what I'm saying? You feel me? They, they feel you. They know who you are. In order for us to be directed, in order, us, in order for us to be a change agent within our community, we have to do more than just visibly see people. We have to perceive them. We have to put our eyes in them. We've got to know their names. 
We've got to listen to their stories. We've got to feel their experiences. We've got to do more than just giving and going and handing out a hot dog or some clothing or a drink or having just some grab-and-go situation. We've got to see people and really fix our eyes on them and to really have an ongoing relationship-building situation with them. I remember, man, a few years ago, and uh, I've tried to find the picture, but I couldn't. Um, we used to go over, man, um, Bridget, you remember this so much, over at Exit Zero over in New Albany, and we went over every week, and we fed the homeless out there, and it was great. Exit Zero is literally Exit Zero off the ramp in southern Indiana, and we go over there, and we fix hot plates, and the homeless would come and meet us alongside the expressway. We, we enjoyed it so much, and, and I was looking for a picture of, of my wife sitting outside everybody else with one gentleman, and for the entire time that they were there, it was just she and him in an isolated conversation. And the joy on his face was amazing because, as we later found out, people don't talk to them. People don't, don't engage, and it meant so much to him that she took just a little bit of her time and sat in the grass as he ate his food and actually had a conversation. Being directed by the Spirit means seeing people. We've got to see people. For all the reasons that I hear about the church being disconnected from the community, one of the reasons I believe that there is a disconnect is oftentimes the depth of our relationship is just the exchanging of an object. Just the passing of one thing from one hand to the next, just giving away something. And not that that's a bad thing. I believe that we could. If we have an abundance, which we do, we ought to give to those who lack. But I believe that it's got to be deeper than just an exchange because behind every empty stomach is a story. Yeah, and behind every addiction is some type of pain. Behind every need is something that's symptomatic of a greater need. And so what we find ourselves doing is just simply fixing or working with the symptoms, hoping that we can heal something that's so much deeper. Uh, a couple of years ago, I, I experienced this myself. Uh, I, I, had a, I had a cough. It was a little nagging cough. It wasn't all that bad. It went from a cough, and then occasionally, uh, eventually, I had like just a little minor sore throat. No big deal. I took care of it. I grabbed me some halls and some chloroseptic because that ought to do it. The halls should take care of the cough. The chloroseptic should take care of the sore throat. And so uh, after about a couple of weeks, it was progressively getting worse, and uh, I wasn't saying nothing, but my wife eventually said, you got to go to the doctor because I'm tired of listening to you cough, and I don't know what's going on. I go to the doctor, and the doctor tells me that I don't just have a, a, a minor cough and a minor sore throat. I, in fact, have strep throat. And I'm sitting there trying to heal strep throat and by working the symptoms of a simple cough and a minor sore throat. And my halls and my chloroseptic could heal something. I needed something a little bit stronger. But not only that, the doctor, she also told me that not only did I have strep throat, but at the rate that I was going, I was getting worse. And eventually, I'd have pneumonia or maybe bronchitis or something worse had I not come in. This is what it looks like in the church oftentimes today. What we do is we see a symptom and we try to give people halls when they've got strep throat. When they need a Z-pack, they need something much stronger. They need the gospel. 
But not just the gospel preached from the stage like this. They need the gospel lived out in community, knowing people sitting in the grass and listening to their story, going to the hospital with them, taking them to the grocery store, things that they need within their lives. They need the church to be the gospel for them so that we can be a life-changing agent for them and for many others. So... We can give hot dogs and clothing and we can give a handshake and a smile. God bless you. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that I believe that God is directing us to be more. It's like Jesus sitting and chatting with the woman at the well, seeing her need, listening to her story, discovering her thirst, knowing how deeply embedded her issue was And rather than Jesus just turning around and standing by the well and assisting the young lady to go get her bucket and get the water out of the well, what Jesus saw was her thirst was much deeper than her physical thirst. And rather than helping her get the physical water, he gives her living water because her need was greater. Seeing people requires us to see people deeper than whatever complaint, whatever issue, whatever addiction, whatever problem, or whatever thing that they've got going on that's not like what we've got going on. We've got to see them deeper than what it is. Because Jesus saw her, we must see people. And when we see people like Jesus did, we have compassion for those people. Here again, it's not, as Jesus says, about the deed, but it's about the action. Listen to 36 again. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Let's stop at compassion. Because not only do you have to see them, but Jesus also has compassion on them. Compassion, it's, it's, it's more than just the language of compassion. It's more than just that, that sound you make when you see something that's disappointing, that, that awe. Oh, it's a little bit more than that. Um, let me give you an example of, of what compassion is. Um, a few years ago in the paper, I read the story. It broke my heart. Uh, just a couple hours north of us in Indianapolis, a mom takes her six-month-old baby girl to the hospital because the baby has a fever that the mom cannot get rid of. She's done everything that she knew how to do. She takes the six-month-old baby, same age as Genevieve and Silas, takes a six-month-old baby to the hospital because the fever won't leave. The doctor runs all the tests and discovers that the problem with the baby is not the fever, but there's something broken in the baby. They do a little bit of research and they discover that the reason that the baby is broken is because the mom's boyfriend has broken her. You feel that? Jesus has compassion on people. That's what it feels like. It's an unbearable feeling that you are moved viscerally, that in your insides you feel the pain for that person. He had compassion on them. So when he saw them, it took a little bit, or it, it, it meant a little bit more than just a simple sigh. It was, he was moved internally. He felt the pain and the struggles of people. And that's the compassion that we see, the physical response 
the pain that he experienced because he recognizes that the people were experiencing pain. But I also like this verse because not only does it talk about that Jesus sees the people and that Jesus had compassion, it also talked about why they were in the position that they were in in the first place. Listen to what he says also at the end of verse 36. He says this, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is speaking to the thoroughness of their oppression that had a persistent effect on people. So because these people were oppressed... And because they were experiencing injustice and pain, and it was like layer after layer, another layer after this, another blow, another blow. And because of their pain, they experienced the oppression and the pain from their existence. So one of the things I mentioned, the woman with the issue of blood, one of the reasons that it's believed that she spent so much time bleeding internally or externally, bleeding with this nonstop perpetual blood flow was because of the oppression from our existence. That because uh, Caesar was asking for taxes and because her environment wasn't changing and because the Roman officials were constantly putting the laws on them and because the, the kings were there and because she was a woman and because she was displaced from her community, that her bodily, body simply rejected the pain that she could no longer handle. Now, that may be a little bit far from us, right? But let me show you what it sounds like today. It's like living from paycheck to paycheck, doing the best that you can, and the politicians decide that they are going to shut down the government and rich people are going to continue to get paid, and you lose your pay for almost six weeks while they play partisan politics with your life. As if your life is something to be gambled upon. You're already struggling. You're already having a hard time making it from week to week, but some rich person decides that your life is worthy enough or unworthy enough that they can just play with it in your livelihood and you'll be okay. When it's just pressed on life, will do that to you at times, time and time again, or, or, or if you're undocumented. And they take your child from you. You're having to figure out how you're going to make it back where you came from is because you've been deported. Or better yet, what's going to happen to your baby because you haven't seen them, some of them, for years. This is, this is the experience that they're, they're they are harassed and helpless. They are experiencing this pain over and over again. And when Jesus perceives it, it hurts him. It moves him at his core. And he feels the pain. He has compassion on them. And he heals them. He engages them right where they are. And so I love this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I imagine, man, Jesus, as they're there in the field and he sees all these people, they're coming to receive the, the feeding, the, 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 the food or the healing or whatever it is that Jesus has given them. And Jesus looks up and he, he shares with his disciples as they're seeing all of this work going on. And he says, by the way, Looking at the people who are in pain, and Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. I don't, I don't think that he was, he was looking at some externally promising sight. I think he looked at the people in pain. 
He looked at the people who are rejected, dejected. He looked at the people who are sick and ill. And Jesus looked at those people and he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. I remember, man, being asked um, about the election, the presidential election, and, and was I discouraged about it. And, and I shared with the people I was actually encouraged. Not because I care either way about the partisanship, but I believe any time that we experience that much turmoil, that much inner pain, that much separation, that that's the time when the gospel ought to prevail the most. Any time when there's that much division, the gospel of Jesus Christ ought to prevail the most. That's why we've got to do a much better job of making sure that our temperature is not controlled by the thermostat of mass media, social media politics, and partisan politics. We control what we feel about our existence based upon what we know about Jesus. And Jesus says, I know what it appears like. I know what you hear, but the harvest is plentiful. The problem is the workers, the laborers are few. God is looking for us brothers and sisters one church in particular to get to a place and in a position where we see the world and we recognize that although things are hard there are schools that need help there are children who've been rejected there are problems within our communities the drug uh, trafficking is getting worse and issue after issue is arising and arising but Jesus says when I look at those things I do not see something that can defeat me I see of a harvest and he's looking for a people who can see and who are willing to step up and to be like Jesus, to go out into the margins of community. So I see your questions. I know you've been writing it down. You wanted to ask me something. I'm going to go ahead and answer for you. Reverend, who, who's the, who are the margins for us? I'm glad you asked. I got an answer for you. <laughs> Okay, in case you were unclear about who are the margins, let me just share a few with you. We got to here. The immigrants. Yeah, the immigrants are on the margins of society. I don't care about what the law said, and I don't care about what you see them arguing about on TV. Anytime a people group is being judged on the actions of a handful of people, those people need some help. Those people need some love. Those people need us to be the church for them. Oh, I got another for you. How about the Muslims? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because anytime one people group is being judged on the basis of the evil of just a handful, the church has to see that as an opportunity to spread love. I don't care about their faith, and I don't care about Allah's message going forward. I actually want Allah's message to stop. I want the message of Jesus Christ to stop. But if we're talking about people created in the image of Christ, which they were, then we've got to love them regardless of their faith. And could it be just by chance, if you love someone who believes differently, from you. Maybe they might meet the Jesus that you know rather than rejecting them. Oh, I got another one. I got another one. How about this? How about the LGBTQI population? Oh man, that gets rough. That gets rough. You remember Jesus, the, 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 the Pharisees were angry at Jesus because he was eating dinner with the sinners. Here's what I want you to know. Um, Whatever your thoughts are or beliefs about the population, whenever Jesus was with the people within the community, those who were pushed to the margins, Jesus never preached to the people in the margins. He loved the people in the margins. He never spent his time pointing his fingers, judging them, condemning them. He simply was around them and he loved them. And our LGBT population are on the margins. Our neighbor across the street, Charlie, owner of the flower shop, Shared with Matt just a couple of months ago. How many? Twelve? Over a two-week period, he's got a relationship with the funeral home. Twelve 
teenage bodies, unclaimed, because their family members separated from them. And we want to be righteous. They're kids who bodies are laying unclaimed in a funeral home, and we're so holy. Where is God in that? Women. Men, we have a responsibility to women. In a world where there's a glass ceiling where women can only go so far, in a world where women only make 60 cents to the dollar of men. And if you talk about women of color, go ahead and make that 40 cents to the dollar. In a world where women are objectified rather than seen as our equals, and I don't care what backwoods story you come from, women are our equals. And it is our responsibility when the world rejects and treats women unkindly, we've got to do a good job of promoting them and helping the rest of the world to see their value. That's who's on the margins. Jesus says, these are the people that he is directing us to. These are the people that we are called to. It's bigger than Forth and Oak. You see this in your own families, with your neighbors, with your classmates, your co-workers, the people on the margins, people of color on the margins. In, in Louisville, you, you'll find it's very segregated and you, you'll discover that in, in the West End, where predominantly most of the African Americans live within our city, there you'll discover that um, it's not just an issue of where black people live, but it's an issue of poverty. And any time that you have concentrated poverty, the result of that is violence and drugs. It has nothing to do with skin color, it has everything to do with poverty, with the lack of resources. And so here's where the injustice lies. Take Louisville, for instance, when an issue is already arised, and then you take grocery stores out of those communities, and they become food deserts. And so our neighbors have to go across the street and spend double and triple times for things that we spend much cheaper for when they're on a fixed income. So one of the things that one of our, our, our leaders mentioned that we should do, that we ought to pick a day of the week. And rather than waiting for the government to do something, we should be the church. And we should meet here a day of the week. We should let our neighbors know we should line our cars out front and give them rides to the grocery store. Because we can. That's what it means to be directed by the Spirit. What the church has spent so much time doing is arguing over arbitrary things, things that don't even matter. It doesn't matter who loves who. Love who you love. It doesn't matter what you think about somebody's sin. How about this? We used to say this in the old church. They would say, they would say man, love the, love the sinner, hate the sin. No. Love the sinner and worry about your own stinking sin. Quit worrying about everybody else. 
Because if we spend our energy worried about the growth that we've got to do in our own lives, and although your sin may not look like your neighbor's sin, all of us got to sweep around our own front porch because we've all got a lot of mess that we've got to deal with ourselves. What we've got to do is be directed by the Spirit of God and learn how can we see people where we are, feel people and experience what they go, and rather than worried about the arbitrary things, we've got to fight for people. And a church that refuses to fight people. In fact, Dr. King, he also said this. He says, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And if you think that just because I did not hit your list right now, if this government, if our world, if our country, and if the powers that be are able to reject and if they are able to neglect people who are of a certain stereotype or a certain uh, area code or a certain background or a certain sexuality, if they are able to reject, neglect, and disrespect people of that, it won't be long before they find the freedom enough to come down your block. It won't be long. I've seen this all too common. I grew up in the 90s when the crack epidemic ran rampant through my community. I've got family members who suffered tremendously by that. And we had all these campaigns the war on drugs was really a war on the poor black communities. <laughs> Flash forward 20 years, the opioid epidemic hits more affluent communities. Now they locked my cousins up, they locked my family members up, they threw my people away. They hit some rich communities, we need to have some compassion. Sounds a whole lot different when it hits your block. I believe that God is calling us to see, feel, and fight for people. That's probably one of the things that I love most about our church. Because perhaps, man, I'm, I'm preaching to a few people are here who don't know, but we've got people who are fighting a good fight and have been. If you don't know, we got people in here who've been fighting for Muslims. We got people in here who've been fighting for immigrants. We got people in here who've been fighting for the LGBT community. We got people in here who've been advocating and fighting for people of color and fighting for women. It's one of the most passionate justice-oriented congregation that I've ever had the privilege to be a part of. But here's where we have to grow. We've done it and we keep it to ourselves. Part of being directed by his spirit is using that platform of love to spread his love. So it doesn't make a difference who you fight for if they don't know the reason why you're fighting. If they don't know that you're doing it because of Jesus. It doesn't matter. We can do all the fighting that we want. But if you don't let people know, I'm standing locked, arm, step in step with you because I believe that Jesus told me to see you, feel you, and to fight for you. It's just random activity. 
That's who I hope that we become and we continue to grow. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's stand. Let's get ready to go.